wonderful friends. Welcome to Faith FM Drive Time, big Q&A. In this show, we respond to difficult questions concerning God, faith, religion, and the Bible. This is the show where we where we look at religious dreams. <laughs> My name is William Moala. I'm the pastor of the Paravista and the Gawler Seventh-day Adventist Churches in South Australia. I want to thank you for joining our live show today. I'm so excited to introduce to you, our listeners, our new theme for this week. And the theme is, A Holy Masquerade Are the Faithful Hypocrites? Very interesting topic that we're going to unpack uh, for the rest of this week. So our question that uh, we are going to look at today, my co-host and I, is what is the church? And so we're going to be wrestling with that question today. What is the church? What does the Bible say about the church? And uh, we want to unpack that conversation to you, uh, to our listeners today. And so in the studio with me today, I have my co-host, Brenton Wilkinson, who serves as a pastor here in Adelaide. And uh, we want to thank you, Brenton, for stepping in, as it were today very pleased to be here um looking forward to sharing this very important topic will i reckon it's going to be a a cracker this yeah one. especially really good one. yeah <clears throat> and especially the actual um the overall theme this holy masquerade are the faithful yes. hypocrites yes. and i think it's yeah. a question that sometimes we that we can kind of contemplate and think about, you know, when you look at the church and you look at God's ideal for the church and then we see the reality of the church, things that play out in the local church. And as you would know, Pastor Brenton, with your experience, um, we see a lot of things happening in the church. And um, and sometimes people have this very, uh, very broad view of church as, I guess, a place where... where well, I would go further, Will. I would say for a lot of people, the yeah. church is... A negative, okay, rather than a positive. For some, it's definitely a positive. But for the average Australian, if you and I were to grab a, a microphone and go wandering around outside the studio, yeah, and ask people what they think of the church, I, I reckon you get some interesting yeah, answers. I think I agree with you. <laughs> So um, if you're listening today, we want to thank you for tuning in wherever you have tuning in from. Um, we would love to actually hear where you're actually tuning in from. And so for those of our regular listeners, we always promote a free book offer and um, we send out the code and the text number. But hey, if you're listening, why don't you text us in the studio? We'd love to hear where you're tuning in from. And hey, during the course of our program today, if you've got a question, uh, why don't you text us in here in the studio? And if we could do our best to maybe even mention... Um, your comment or your thought or your question. So sure. the number in the studio, please save it on your mobile device is zero four triple eight eight zero eight double one. We would love to hear from you. So once again, zero four triple eight eight zero eight double one. And hey, we'd love to hear your thoughts. What do, what's your perception of the church? What's been your experience? Hey, um, we'd love to um, hear from you. So please do us a favor and, and uh, text us um, just where you're tuning in from today. And I love Faith FM Drive Time because we have our faithful listeners tuning in from all across the country. So wherever you're tuning in from, we want to give you a special warm welcome. And so, Brennan, before we get into our topic, we always like to share our World Watch segment, just yes, something in yeah. the... In it's always the, an interesting segment yeah. to share. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. And so, yeah. hey, Brennan, what I'd like to do is I want to share this article from religionnews.com, and it's entitled, Christians in Pakistan are struggling to survive barbaric persecution. 
and this was an uh, article written by David Curry, dated June 9, Same, uh, 2000. Sounds pretty serious. Yeah. So, here, Brendan, I might just um, share or might read a few yeah, of them. Yeah, run it past um, read, read a bit of it and then just have a bit of a conversation yes. around it. It says here, um, on May the 18th, Babar Sandu Masi, I think that's how you pronounce his name, <laughs> a Catholic heard a commotion outside of his house in Lahore, Pakistan. Mm-hmm. Masih ran outside to investigate and found his neighbour beating Masih's 18-year-old son and another Christian boy about 14 years old. Right. This opposed crime, disrespecting the Prophet Muhammad, an allegation the boys flatly denied. They were arrested by police and charged under Pakistan's blasphemy statutes, punishable by the death penalty. Pakistan has had long has long had some of the most harshest blasphemy laws in the world, yes. but they are getting worse. In addition to state-sanctioned execution, Pakistani Christians and other religious minorities face abductions, indentured servitude, and all manner of discrimination. The laws are rampantly exploited to systematically oppress Christians, Hindus, Sikhs, and anyone who doesn't follow the teachings of Islam. It's time for the U.S., and the global community to stand up and hold Pakistani's Prime Minister Shabazz Sharif and his oppressive government accountable for these clearly unjust actions. I'll, I'll read a little bit more. Yeah. Um, yeah. According to the United States Commission on International Religious Freedoms, Freedom of Religion or Belief Victims List, more than 50 Pakistani Christians and religious minorities are currently detained or imprisoned on charges of blasphemy, with a number facing execution. Oh, boy. To make matters worse, Sharif's predecessor, Imran Khan, doubled down on the blasphemy laws, encouraging other Muslim-majority countries to band together and exploit trade boycotts to pressure Western countries to pass similar um, restrictions. I'll just read this one little bit more, then I'd love to hear your thoughts, Sam Brennan. It says, sadly, accusations of blasphemy are just one of the many forms of persecution and injustice Christians face in Pakistan. Last fall, 200 Pakistani Christian families were left homeless in the capital, Islamabad, when, without warning, a government agency bulldozed their homes and church with their belongings still inside. Christians have endured other types of violence. Earlier this year, a Muslim landowner, landowner, he beat a Catholic farm labourer to death, claiming he stole oranges from his orchard. That killing followed the shooting death of a Pakistani Christian who tried to stop Muslims from stealing his guava cop. Crop, sorry. So, look, there's a bit more there. Yeah, but you get the general tenor there, of yeah, the article. Yeah, yeah. Um, what are your thoughts, um, Brendan? And the reason why I wanted to share this to our listeners because, you know, we live in we live in Australia, and um, we don't get anywhere near this level of persecution that some of these Christians are facing. You know, in in Pakistan, yeah. and to hear some of these things is um, it's quite disheartening. Yes, and to think that yeah. that they're only "Quote unquote crime yes. was that they are uh, professed practicing Christians. Yeah. yeah. So what do you and, and make out of this across this the board? It's not just one particular denomination. If yeah. the word Christian is found anywhere in the vocabulary, uh, you're a target. It's interesting. Uh, Pakistan at the moment is going through a very very difficult phase um, financially. Will right. Um, you may not be aware that inflation is running at 38%. Now, what's the inflation here in Australia? Four and a half, five percent at the moment, something like that. 38%. A lot of people in Pakistan are trying to get out of the country and go elsewhere. 
because uh, the standard of living, apparently the, what the so-called middle class yeah. has dropped into what we would describe as economic basket cases. In other words, they're poor. Now, <clears throat> what has this got to do with religious persecution? Well, <clears throat> number one, <laughs> Christians are a target. I read something only about 12 months ago, which almost backs up what you're saying today uh, about what was going on in India. Uh, there's a group in South India who are Christians, and uh, these other group came along and they basically burned their houses and they, wow. th they threatened that next yeah. time they came they would beat them up or worse. Um, the Bible tells us that anyone who follows the Lord can expect persecution. Yeah. But there doesn't seem to be anything that you can do to defend yourself against these claims. I mean, this poor man that was beaten to death for allegedly stealing oranges, um, if he was a labourer, what yeah. recourse would he have? Uh, these boys who were beaten by the neighbour because they allegedly had defamed the prophet Muhammad. Yeah. Um, what recourse have these people got of defending themselves? Yeah. It's almost a case of um, you're guilty until proven innocent. Yeah. And one wonders whether you would ever be proven innocent anyway. And I, I think in a country where economic conditions are getting harder and harder and harder, uh, groups that are not mainstream, and let's face it, Pakistan is one of the, um, it's one of the strongest Muslim countries in the world. Yeah. And one of the strictest, uh, I don't know how much of Pakistan practices Sharia law, but um, all of those things, any group that is not part of that, obviously when things are not going well, you're going to be subject to um, suspicion, right? to accusation, and to various other things. And I feel for these people. Yeah. I, I, I really do feel for them. We can pray for them, and I'm, I'm sure we will, but you're dealing with measures that are government-imposed, and depending on the government seems to depend very much on whether the measures are even harsher or whether they're a little yeah. more liberal. It seems to me that Imran Khan, and Imran Khan was a very famous cricketer, <clears throat> his replacement seems to be, if I can use the term, even more repressive than what he was. Yeah, that's right. So where do we go from here? <laughs> we can pray for our uh, brothers and sisters in Christ in these countries, but other than that, what what else can we do to actually help them? They're, they're the questions that I would be thinking of. Yeah. I mean, we don't know what it's like here in Australia to have to put up with that level of persecution. Uh, the average Australian is fairly ambivalent towards organised religion. They don't um, necessarily subscribe to it, but you're not actively persecuted at this stage, Will, because you're a Christian. Yeah. I mean, you can be a Christian, and certainly there's enough evidence now coming out in the media and that sort of thing to suggest that um, Australians, shall we say, are becoming more um, intolerant towards Christianity and that sort of thing. But <clears throat> these poor people, yeah. mother... Yeah, and just um, maybe just to pick up, you know, was saying a little bit earlier, you know, what could we do? You know, according to the article, and by the way, David Curry, he's president and CEO of Global Christian Relief. 
Is he? Yeah, he's America, right. which is America's leading yes. watchdog organization okay. focused on the plight of well, persecuted Christians. Well, he obviously Christians. knows what he's talking about in yeah. putting this out. Yeah. yeah, so in his article, just right at the end, just probably a closing thought on it, he says the U.S. State Department has designated Pakistan as a country of particular concern right. for engaging in and tolerating quote, particularly severe violations of religious freedom. So Dave says, however, a president, a presidential waiver is in place, releasing the administration from any oblig- obligation to act. So the designation rings hollow. Our administration, this is according to David, our administration should lift the waiver and then apply targeted sanctions of the Pakistani officials who are directly responsible for freedom violations. Then he says here at the yeah, right at the end, yeah. Pakistani citizens, whether Christian, Hindu, or any other religious minority, should have the right to practice their religion without fearing discrimination or violence. If we don't hold Pakistan to account, who will? That's how David ends um, the, yes, the article. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, look, I just thought I'd share that um, article with our listeners today um, because, Brenton, you know, the Bible does talk about Persecution, you know, Jesus spoke about persecution. The one that comes to my mind is in Second Timothy three verse twelve, where Paul says, "Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer, will suffer persecution." persecution. Yep. So, I guess in some ways we are aware of it, and particularly for me and for us living in in Australia, we we kind of hear these stories, but we don't really see it right on our front doorstep, as no, it were. No. Perhaps there's coming a time um, when some of these things may actually be a reality and uh, heaven forbid that would be the case here on our shores of australia sure, sure. but um but you know i just i just force just i guess what when i left reading the article brennan it made me i guess more grateful for the fact that we don't live in such an oppressive regime here in australia so we should yeah. be very thankful that there are yeah. other christians in other parts of the world who are being literally their lives on the line. Yes. And it's something that we need to keep our brothers and sisters in Pakistan and across the world in prayer. Um, A good question to ask would be, if you were in contact with these people, how is your faith? Yeah. Because I tell you what, under circumstances like this, this would test your faith whether it's genuine or not. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Because it may cost you your life. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. And the Bible tells us the same thing. Remember, Christ said, he who comes after me and doesn't love father, mother, and brother, and sister, and all the rest of it. In fact, if you're not willing to give your life, you cannot be yeah. my disciple. Yeah, So absolutely. I think we need to, as a Christian community, uplift these people yeah. in Pakistan in prayer. Definitely. In a very special way. Most definitely. Well, we're going to shift gears now, and uh, we're going to go to a break. But just sure. before we do, uh, we would like to promote our free book offer for you, our valued listener today. And our free book offer today is called Kindness Living by author Jeff Weir. This is one of the best church growth tools today, yet it's compact enough to fit in your pocket. It encourages readers to have a kindness plan to touch the lives of precious souls by daily patterning their lives after Jesus Christ. Hey, so it's a little pocketbook. It's a pocketbook, sorry. It's a resource that you can have for yourself. And even if you like, you can pass off to your friends, those in your circle. Um, if you'd like this free copy of Kindness Living by Jeff Weir, please text the code SA124 to our number in the studio, 04888 Uh, the code once again, it's SA124. 
8081 and we'll get that book out to you as soon as possible. Sounds so good. please don't go away. We'll be back in just a few moments. You're listening to Faith FM Drive Time Beer Q&A. Alas and did my Savior bleed Did my sovereign die Would he devote that sacred head Someone such as I At the cross, at the cross Where I first saw Crossed by Anna Weatherup. You're listening to Faith FM Drive Time BQ&A. If you've just joined us, it's Will and Brenton in the studio, and we're unpacking the topic for today and the rest of the week. A holy masquerade. <laughs> are the faithful hypocrites? And today we are unpacking the question, what is the church? And so I've got my good friend, Pastor Brenton, in the studio with me, and he's going to lead us in our discussion today. And so, Pastor Brenton, as we unpack this concept of church, what is the church? Well, what the church is, and uh, some of our listeners today would probably know this, but for the benefit of those who don't, uh, the Greek word used in the New Testament whenever the word church appears is the word ecclesia. 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 You know it, Will. I know it. So that's from the, yes, the Greek word. From the Greek word. Right. It means a gathering, an assembly. But today, uh, in 21st century Christianity, it primarily would refer to a congregation. Okay. Now, if we don't get anything else across to our listeners today... <laughs> 
in uh, our discussion time. It's this. The church, please try and think church in terms of people, congregation, rather than building. So the church is not a building. It's a group of people. In in the original, as I say, in the New Testament, wherever the word church is used, the church refers to a group of of people. (laughs) Now I can take it a step further. Um, What did the church look like in first century AD? So I'll talk about that just briefly. Sure. Then I'll share the purposes for which I believe the church was brought into existence in the first place. Interestingly enough, before we get to the the first century church, let's have a look at Matthew 16, verse 18, because that's the first time I find will in the New Testament where the church is mentioned. And it's only in the book of Matthew that it's actually mentioned. People will know this. When I read this, they'll go, oh, yes, yes, I've read that particular text. But anyway, let's share it together and see what it says. It says something interesting. Jesus has just asked his disciples, who do people say I am? And they've given various answers. (laughs) It's not as though (laughs) they'd all said the same thing. Some said Elijah, some said John the Baptist, some said one of the prophets. And then Jesus brings the question home on a very personal basis. And he says to them, but who do you say say that I am? And, of course, what is Peter's answer? Good old Peter, you know. Ready, fire, aim. But on this particular occasion, he, he had it right. He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Yeah. And notice what Christ says in response to that. He said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. On this rock, I will build my church. <laughs> the church is founded on a rock. I'm not going to go into a great um, yeah. in-depth theological <laughs> discussion. The rock, Peter says, was Christ. The Old Testament says the rock right. was Christ. So Christ is really saying here. Now, what's interesting about this is the fact that here Christ is, as it were, remember this is before he's gone to the cross. So he hasn't given his life for the sins of the world. He hasn't risen from the dead. He's basically, I would say, firing the first salvo against Satan and his evil angels who they think control this world by saying, this statement, Peter, that you've made, that you were the Christ, the Son of the living God, indeed I am, and on this statement of yours I am going to build my church. And furthermore... The gates of hell are not going to prevail against it. In other words, it's on. We would say today, if you and I were playing rugby or something like that, and someone blew the whistle, it's on. Right. <laughs> so he's really, I think, giving a big hint here to his disciples that this statement of mine is that Peter has made, guided by the Holy Spirit, is so strong that the gates of hell won't prevail against it. On this rock, on... Myself, as the chief cornerstone, as Peter calls him in First Peter, Christ the chief cornerstone and all the rest of us as part of the building. And so what I'm hearing, Brendan, is the church is, like you said earlier, it's, um, it's not a building, it's people, but then you're quoting Matthew where it's based on, on who Jesus is. Yes. It's based on, yes. on Christ. He's, so, he's the so foundation. So what is the church? I believe the church is a group of people 
who believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died on the cross for our sins, and that he saves us because of that. So it's, that's, a good, that's a good point to make, Brennan, because when we're talking about a church, we're not talking about denominations. We're not no, talking no, about... this is not We're talking about, about a people yes. who have a have belief in, in who the person yes. of Jesus is. Yes. Okay, good. That's right. Let's move on. First century churches were known as house churches. Now we're, now we're bringing it from, shall we say, the group of people. They met in houses. In the book of Romans, there was a guy called Gaius. I haven't got time to, to uh, read it to you, but in Romans 16, verse 23, Paul sends his greetings, I think, to a group of Christians who met in Gaius's house. Right. So they didn't go to some big building downtown in Rome and meet there. They didn't have a, a, a stadium like some of the mega churches have got yeah. these days to meet in. They met in a home church. Now, what would you have had in that church? Let me give you a bit of a background as to who you would find in that church. If you and I walked through the door today <coughs> into Gaius's church in Rome, the Roman church was primarily Gentile, not okay. Jewish. So Gentile was, is not yes. a Jew, right? No, Gentile is not Jewish. Yeah, so non-Jewish people. You would have had Gentiles in it, and you probably had some Jews in it as well, judging by the theme, as you know, of the book of Romans. But here is where it becomes really interesting. If you and I walked in and sat down today in, in that church group, you would have wealthy people because most of the homes mentioned in the New Testament, I'm thinking in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 16, we're dealing with uh, Lydia. You remember Lydia yep. was baptized in yep. her family and she said to Paul, if you consider me a believer in Christ, come to my house. Now, from there on, the church group that was raised up in Philippi probably met in her house. Lydia was a seller of purple. She was wealthy. Right. Gaius was probably wealthy. You think of Philemon, Philemon the slave owner, <laughs> and Paul sends back Onesimus, his slave. <laughs> now, what you would expect to find when you went to this church is you would find free people, you would find slaves. You would find Gentiles so who have been pagans. You would find Jewish people who were very devout for the law and for all the rest of it. And you would find other people as well. In other words, it was what we would call today an eclectic group, group of people. Right. <laughs> the meeting is the church. Okay. So that, that's what you've got. Um, in the first century, this state of affairs continued until, believe it or not, about the fourth century. Around about the time of Constantine, we find that uh, all of a sudden church buildings started appearing. Up okay. until then, we'd had home groups. We'd had a home church or house churches. Now, all of a sudden, you actually have dedicated buildings being built by the emperor and by other people to um, worship God. In. Right. This is the origin of the earliest cathedrals. I did a bit of research today. You had cathedrals in Italy. You had cathedrals in Gaul. Gaul is what we know as modern-day France. Okay. You had cathedrals in Spain. And if you go to any of these countries, Will, and you may have been to them, you ought to see the massive cathedrals. That yeah, part. beautiful. Um, even North Africa had cathedrals. Oh, wow. But these buildings started to take shape around about the 4th century. Up until then, church, as we define it, was held in people's homes. 
And it, so that's a pretty very that's a pretty big point for some of our listeners because probably a lot of people just think church, like you said, church for many people it's a it's a building, it's a place of worship. Well, that's what they identify yeah. with. Yeah. But what you seem to be saying is um, when you look at the at the very inception of the New Testament church. By and large, they were meeting in homes. Yes. So it was in the people's homes where, yes. where they were fellowshipping, praying, doing the things that we would commonly think of in a, in a public church setting. They were doing it in a very, um, they were doing it in homes. Yes. Look, you're the pastor of a fairly large church yes, here yes. in Adelaide. And I've pastored churches that have been moderate sized churches. Um, let's put it this way. What are the advantages of, a house church, intimacy, yeah, the ability to all get to know one another. I mean, I was doing a bit of research today. Mega churches. <laughs> Our society is heading in the direction of mega churches rather than back to the home group thing. I know a lot of church planters and a lot of church groups focus on the importance of house churches or home groups as we call them. When you're in a, a group of people, do you realise that in America there are over 50, 50 megachurches? Wow. Who have so over, when you say megachurch, that's anywhere. Uh, megachurch is any church basically that has more than 10,000 people. Wow. Now, My number was a lot smaller. Uh, I was thinking, what, a couple of thousand? Yeah, you're right. 10,000. There, there is one Goodness church gracious. in America today known as Gateway Church. No, it's not the Gateway Church that we know. Right. Um it has an average weekly attendance of 100,000. Wow. Now, 100, that's like a footy stadium. Uh, that's the MCG full every week. Wow. <laughs> that's anyway, massive. Um, so I guess what you're saying is, if I can connect some dots, Brennan, yeah. this, is it correct to you? I think what you're essentially, I don't know if we're going down that road in our conversation today, but some of these mega churches, um, when you look at the Bible, they were meeting in homes. Yes. Whereas today's culture of church is very much a uh, big, a uh, huge. Yep. Um, you know, it's a massive place where people get together, and um, you know, they worship God, and you know, and um, they use that space to worship God. They do. Um, there were some other points though that I think we need to look on. Yeah. Why was the church brought into existence in the first place? I've listed three things. Now, for those who are listening, if they disagree with me, that's fine. But the first one was the exaltation of God. Why was the church brought into existence? For the exaltation of God. Let me read a text that we know well, but uh, it's worth reading because every time I read this, I, I go, hey, Brent. What text are you looking at, Brent? Uh, we're looking at First Peter 2 and verse 9. But right. you, this is Peter, and how do we know it's his? He's talking to the pilgrims of the yeah. Dispersia in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. That's how he identifies his epistle, but he says, but you <coughs> are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. Now notice the next bit, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. I believe the primary function, a lot of people think the primary function of the church is evangelism. I believe the primary, the primary function of the church, according to this, yeah. is to show forth the praises of him right. who has called us 
out of darkness into his marvellous life. Right. So that's point one. The second point I believe that's very valid is when a person accepts Christ and becomes part of church, and here's an interesting point. I don't find, Will, and you uh, probably have seen this yourself. You come across people sometimes who say, I want to have a relationship with the Lord. <clears throat> I want to get baptised. I don't want to join a church. Right. Now, I cannot find anywhere in the New Testament Scripture that solo Christianity is recommended, highly recommended or suggested. Yes, our relationship to the Lord is an individual thing, but we are part of a body. We're going to get to that in a little yeah. bit. The various metaphors that Christ's uh, church is used for, <coughs> the body of Christ is one metaphor. But here we're told that we are called out of darkness into his mar marvellous light. What are we to do? We are actually, our lives are actually to demonstrate the praise. We don't have to go around saying, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord every five minutes or <laughs> yeah. something like that. Basically, all we need to do is people can see when we have been changed by the Holy Spirit. We have been changed by belonging to church. Right. By belonging. The church is there to nurture people. Yeah. When they come in, you have to nurture them, love them, and support them. You can't get that in a solo setting, if and, I can put it that way. Does that make sense, yeah. what I'm saying? And yeah, absolutely, Brendan. I'm just looking at um, some of our, for the rest of our team, I know later on the, in, later in on the week, a um, couple of our presenters are going to look at the question about yeah, good, responding good to question. hypocrisy. Good question. So I think that's probably... We're not touching back in the, on that. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm just kind of... Just kind of preempting our listeners because um, great things we're saying about we're meant to proclaim God's praise. We're supposed to be this living embodiment of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. So people should be able to see Jesus. But then there's probably one or two have you know gone to church and unfortunately experienced bad experience, some, something yeah. really mm -hmm. something bad. Some someone judged them. Someone said something. It, whatever it was. And so we want to look at that a little later on the week. Yeah. Um, so just tune in to um, our, our show for the rest of the week because yeah. um, one of our team, our team's going to really address that specifically. Well, but going back to you, Brendan, here's what I'm hearing what you're saying so yeah. far. Yeah. It's a church is not a building, it's people. Yeah. It's, it's a people who have accepted and believe in the person of Jesus. And then you've kind of walked us down, I guess, somewhat of a historical Kind of, um, Only for the purpose of showing what the church yeah. was originally set up to yeah. be right. and what it has now become. Yeah. What so I'm there's... doing is contrasting what it was in the first century with what church is, as many people see yeah. it, in the 21st century. Yeah. Yeah. Powerful. Yeah. Now, there's something extra here. The church as Christ's body. I'm reading from Ephesians. Now, Ephesians, the word church appears in Ephesians quite a bit, but I'm reading verse 22 and 23. He put all things together under his feet and gave him to be head over all things in the church. That's talking about Christ, which is his body. So what is the church? Christ's body. Yeah. The fullness of him who fills all in all. <coughs> um, this is another thing I believe that mitigates against solo Christianity. Yeah. Can you imagine an eye running around by itself or a leg running around by <laughs> itself or some fingers sort of 
appearing out of the ether and disappearing yeah. into something Would look like very that. strange. You've got to have them attached to a body. Yep. And I think this is what um, Paul is saying is, guys, when you accept Jesus as your saviour, you become part of the body of Christ. Right. What is the body of Christ? We've just read it. It's the right. church. The second point was um, in chapter 2 where it says this. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. One should say hallelujah to that. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Now, notice the next one. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together grew into a holy temple to the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place in the Spirit. In very simple language, another analogy, we've used the analogy of the body as the church. Now we're using the analogy of a building or a temple as the church. I believe it's talking um, on two levels, but... The main level I think he's talking about here is talking about us individually. We are God's temple. Yeah. And I love how you're, you're emphasizing that point, Brennan, uh, against this solo, isolated type of uh, experience where you're you know, experiencing God and life in and of yourself. But coming back to that word again, as you said at the top of the show, church actually comes from the Greek word ecclesia, which means a gathering, uh, an assembly. And it's the basis of our work congregation. So right then, when we hear the word church, we should be thinking, hey, the church is a group. It's a community. Yeah. It's yeah. people. Yeah. And I, I think part of the, I believe that's why part of how God grows us and how he matures us in this process of yes. learning, loving, living, yeah. you know, all the of these things, bit is, very is we need one another. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, just just on the weekend, uh, Brenton, at my local church, we had our communion service. We did mm-hmm. the ordinance yep. of foot washing based on the scriptures in John 13. We had the communion service. And um, as you would know, Pastor Brennan, um, it's a special week. It's a special day um, in the church because we are recognizing that we are a body, as you said. Yes. And when I'm washing my my brother's feet, it's uh, it's an example of, hey, this is what Jesus did. And so the church is a, a, a group. It's a people who've come together. And um, as we're going to hear in the in the la- later on in the week from our team, yes. yeah, there are instances where we don't always get it right. Yeah. People always don't reflect sure. the, the person sure. of Jesus as yeah. we should, as as we do. We all make mistakes, pastors included. But when we're looking at the church, it's this is something I like to say as well, Brandon. This is something that God has ordained and instituted. I so. yeah. This is Absolutely. part of how God. <laughs> it's part of His plan. In how he sets things right, yes, and how he moves and acts. I, I think you've hit the nail on the head there, Will. It's interesting. Yesterday, I'm travelling along in the car, and I get this phone call. Right, private number. <laughs> it's very <laughs> difficult when you're dealing with private number. This vo- so you this, picked it up. This uh, voice, female voice, says to me on the phone, Pastor, I'd like to. I'm looking for a church to attend. Wow. And I said, uh, can I ask who's speaking? And she said, it doesn't matter what my name is. And I said, well, can I get some sort of an idea where you're from? No, she wasn't willing to reveal that really? either. Um, 
But she said, I'm looking for a church to attend. Now, I believe the Holy Spirit has been speaking to her heart. I've told her a church that I'm going to be at in a few weeks' time, and I think it's possible that she might turn wow. up at that particular church. But, um, yeah, <laughs> the next metaphor that the church is described as is like the marriage relationship, and you and I both know this well because we have conducted weddings and Ephesians 5 verse 25 says, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Yeah. So who did Christ give his life for? For the church. Okay. That he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So another reason why the church has been brought into existence, and you touched on it, Will, you used the word mature. Yeah. We are to grow up as Christians, as a body of believers, the church, not the building again, the church, the body of believers, we are to mature. We mature by study, we mature by sharing, but most of all we mature by um, supporting one another. Wow. And that helps us to grow spiritually. Wow. Hey, I'm loving this conversation, Brendan. One hope, more to go yeah, after the next break. One more to go. <laughs> uh, for our listeners, I hope that you're enjoying our conversation today as we've been unpacking this idea of what is a church. We're about to go to a break, but before we do that, we'd like to promote our book offer just one more time. The book is entitled Kindness Living by Jeff Weir. This is one of the best church growth tools today, yet it's compact enough to fit in your pocket. It encourages readers to have a kindness plan to touch the lives of precious souls by daily patterning their lives after Christ's life. If you'd like a free copy, why don't you text the code here in the to the studio, SA124. That is the code SA124 to our number here in the studio, 04 And text the code in. And we'll get that book out to you as soon as we can. Hey, while we're on the conversation, what have you been thinking about what Brenton has been saying? We'd love to hear your thoughts on what is the church. Why don't you text us your yes. comments, your thoughts, 04888-80811. Love to hear your thoughts and what you're thinking about our program thus far. Hey, please don't go away. We'll be back in just a moment. You're listening to Faith FM Drive Time, big Q&A. Mm-hmm.
When Christ shall come With shout of acclamation And take me home What joy shall fill my heart Then I shall bow In humble adoration And then proclaim My God, how great Thou art was How Great Thou Art by Lauren Daigle. You are listening to Faith FM Drive Time. Big Q&A with Will and Brenton in the studio. We've just got a few more minutes to go in our show today. We are kicking off our brand new theme, A Holy Masquerade Are the Faithful Hypocrites. Uh-huh. And today, <laughs> Brennan and I have been trying to unpack, well, Brennan been taking the lead on the question, what is the church? So, Brennan, in the few minutes we have remaining, walk us through, because I know you've got a bit more to share. Yeah, just uh, probably one or two more points, uh, Will, that uh, we would like to share. And uh, we've touched on the bride and the wife analogy of what the church is to Christ. But when you're talking about a relationship that intimate, that is the most intimate relationship on earth between a husband and wife. Now, if Christ's relationship to his church is described in similar terms, that tells me that he is intentionally serious about us as his bride. Yeah. And there's a fourth point. Um, I'm not suggesting that what I'm presenting today is all-encompassing and that no one can see any other points in it, but these are points that I found particularly helpful that I felt sure we could share together. We Have we ever thought of the church as a militia? A militia? In an offensive capacity. Think of Matthew 28. Verse 18 to 20. All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, Son, and the Holy Holy Spirit, Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Starts out with a command finishes with a promise. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Are we living in a world of sin? Are we living in a world of trouble? Absolutely. Yes. But Christ has not left us alone. Let me share with you from Ephesians again, how is the church equipped to deal with this? And then we're going to have a look at a very famous section in chapter 6. This is talking about when Christ descended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. It says, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, 
for the edifying of the body of Christ, work of ministry, edifying the body of Christ, till all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God in a, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. In other words, <coughs> First Corinthians talks about it, Romans talks about it, we call it the gifts of the Spirit. Right. Not the fruits of the Spirit, the yeah, gifts the of gifts. the Spirit. The purpose of all of these things that Paul has been sharing here in chapter 4 is for exactly what I've just been saying earlier on. It's for the purpose of the promulgation or the proclamation of the gospel. Right. And I think that that's vitally important. Um, I can't see any weaknesses in this. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, for the equipping of the saints. I want our listeners to get a sense that when they join the body of Christ, they are not suddenly to become inert. <laughs> they are to become active. <laughs> yeah. As they accept Jesus as their saviour, they will want to share that with their friends yeah. and their acquaintances. And you know what? Social um, networks and platforms are ideal for doing this type of thing on. Yes, you do cop a lot of stick on it, but uh, it's also an opportunity for you to use to be able to share the good news of Jesus return Christ didn't go away and sort of say well guys over to you quick handball yeah <laughs> <laughs> you take it as you're going past and run with it yeah uh, in Ephesians in um, Acts chapter 2 we all know that on the day of Pentecost the Holy Spirit came on these 120 people and the result 3,000 were baptized yeah. in a day now <laughs> That particular church group was obviously 120 people because it says they were all together in one place in one, at one, one time. Court, yeah. So <clears throat> just cutting a long story short, <clears throat> the metamorphosis, if I can use that term, of the church from 1st century to 21st century, look at the ways that we have as a church of presenting the gospel to people today. And I don't think we've even scratched the surface. Some of the traditional methods we've used <coughs> are still good, yeah. but there are other opportunities, other <coughs> areas that we could probably um, enlarge on. But I want to go over to Chapter 6, Will, in, in basically finishing. And if you've got any comments, I'm happy to hear them. I was just wanting to just to add um, just what the idea of church militant means, and I've just got it here in front of me. It, can, it means... What, what do you think it means? Yeah, it means to... The Christian church on earth regarded as engaged in a constant warfare against his enemies, the powers of evil. And the, the, I've like got that. a note here that, like that differentiates that between church triumphant. So it's this idea that the church is engaged. There is some, there's a battle. And I yeah. think you're going to unpack that in Ephesians. Um, a little bit. Um, I'm also thinking of um, a text that you know well and I know well in Revelation 12. And the dragon was wroth, wroth with the woman. With the yeah. woman. A woman in in prophecy is a church, yeah, and went to make war with the remnant right. of her seed who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. No, guys, our study is not on the book of Revelation. <laughs> <laughs> the fact of the matter is, we are engaged in yeah. war. But I, I, you know what? Just as you just quoted that verse, Brennan. Sorry to interject in your no, no, you're about to fine. share, but go for it. If the, just going back to that Revelation twelve text. The dragon w was wroth with a woman. Yes. Uh, Revelation twelve seventeen, I think it is. is yes. I don't know. It just kind of hit me a different way just right now in the studio is that if the dragon or Satan's making war on the church, the woman, 
then it implies that we are at war because we have we been, are in war. So we are in war, which yeah. necessitates the a battle mindset. Yeah. And yeah. I think this is powerful, Brennan, because too often within Christianity, and I'm speak, I'm the first to put up my hand. Church, by and large, becomes something we do on the week. It, you know, like going yes. back to what you're saying, yep. we yep. go to a yep. church yep. service and we kind of sing a few songs and we kind of go through the cultural things of Christianity, yep. and it's much more than that. Oh yes, absolutely. Um, <laughs> it's interesting, you know. There is a war. Um, the North Korea, South Korea thing, do you realise that that, <laughs> that that is the longest war in the world? Um, they had an armistice. Hostilities have never actually ceased as such. So they're still technically in war. Te- yeah. Technically, they could still be described as opposed to one another yep. in a war. Um, we are living in a battlefield on this earth where it's not just technical. We know it in our own personal experience that we are indeed fighting against what I'm about to read. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Who is Paul talking to? Whenever we read this scripture, Bill, uh, Will, we always tend to take the view that, oh, this is talking to individual Christians. You need to have on the whole armor of God. True, you do. But who is Paul writing this to? He's writing it to the Ephesians, and this would have been read in a home church. Right. Now, someone would have got up on Sabbath morning and said, hey, we've got a, an epistle from Paul. They probably didn't call it an epistle. Yep. They probably called it a letter. Hey, guys, uh, we've received this. Tychicus, yep. Tychicus came along, and he's going to read what Paul has written. Cool. And everyone's sitting there in the in this the. I'm excited. Yeah, Listen yeah, about it. because it, right. And he's saying this. I'll just pick out some highlights rather than read the whole thing. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Sounds pretty dire, doesn't it? Therefore, verse 13, Will's become one of my favorites. Take up the whole armor of God. Wow. That you may be able to withstand... In the evil day and having done all to stand. You've heard the saying, last man standing. Yeah. This is essentially what it's saying. At the end of the battle, at the end of the war, you need to still be standing. You need to be How are you going to be standing? Having on the whole armor of God. Wow. And then he goes and, you, and, and he said the various <coughs> components that comprise the armor <laughs> using the illustration of a Roman soldier and what a Roman soldier would be wearing. But I think I think that's very important. Um, taking the helmet of salvation, the various, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So I love what you're saying, Brendan. Wow. In the couple of minutes we got, because... Yes, we're nearly um, out of time. You're saying that text, Ephesians chapter 6, and if you're listening out there, guys... Um, if you want to look up the Ephesians chapter 6 um, in your time. through to about verse yeah. 18, something but, like that. Hey, like many people, um, Brendan, I've read that text many a time <clears throat> and have just applied it in a very individualistic manner. You're saying, no, 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 this is the Apostle Paul's counsel to the Christian church, I believe a community. So. And so he's telling the community of faith. You must have on the whole. For them collectively. God. You, the church, 
ecclesia must have on the whole armour of God. Otherwise, you have no hope of resisting yeah. the power of the evil wow. one. Furthermore, you, you do not have the power to be able to give the gospel in the way that God wants us to do. How do you break down error? Someone once said the best way to break down error is to present the truth. Now, right. the only way that that's going to work is if the Holy Spirit enlightens people who are listening to the truth because they can then compare it with the error that maybe they've been brought up with with the truth that they're now hearing, if that makes sense. Yeah. So as we wrap this up, Brendan, we've just got a couple of minutes to go. What are some takeaway points for our listeners today? So you're saying the church, it's not a building, it's people. Yes. It's a group of people. I would encourage our listeners to find a church. Okay. So find you- a group. Um, because in sharing themselves, they will grow. And in being associated with others, they will receive nourishment. They will receive support. We all know, yeah. uh, I think this is a take-home message that we can leave with our listeners. A church that is on fire for the Lord, a church that loves one another as uh, Christ would have us to do, and we'll be touching on this later in the week, is a church I want to belong to. Amen. And it's a church that... Sometimes I've had people, as a minister, and I've pastored quite a number of churches, sometimes people are only just hanging in the church because one or two people are, as it were, watching their back. Yeah. I think that's the term we use today. Yeah. yeah. I've got your back. Yeah. And I've had people say to me, Pastor, I'm only still in the church because one or two people have stuck with me wow. all the way through. Wouldn't it be wonderful if that's true of the whole church is doing that for one another because that's by and large what the church is. It's about growing, it's about sharing, it's about maturing and it's about looking for the second coming of Christ. Well, Pastor Brennan, we're going to have to um, stop our program right there. Thank you for coming in the studio today and sharing with our listeners today. And so, guys, for for those listening in today, our time is up. But please do join our hosts, Marty and Gary, tomorrow as they look at the question, does church attendance equal a faithful believer? Interesting topic. Does church attendance equal a faithful believer? Please tune in tomorrow because I guarantee you, Marty and Gary, I'm going to do a fantastic job um, unpacking that question tomorrow. But until then, Brendan and I want to leave you with the words of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He tells us in the Gospel of John 14 and verse 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. May God bless you and we'll see you next time.